Christianity is a religion about facts. We are, we are about facts. This is not some, you know, there's, there's a God, he's kind of everywhere and whatever. No, this is a very specific fact-based belief system. The most important fact being that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If that fact isn't true, we are wasting our time here. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington, and this is Contemplate. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Thanks for being here as we bring you part six in our series, Contentment in Christ. We're in Acts chapter 16 today, and after a short recap of what the book of Acts is all about, Pastor David will teach us from verses 11 through 15, and I think you'll be amazed at how much is packed into just these few verses. Please get out your Bible, and let's join Pastor David Robinson with today's episode recorded live at Acts Church. Let me just talk basically about the book of Acts for a second. Okay, The book of Acts was written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a guy named Luke. That's the same Luke from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the Gospels. He also was the author of the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a historian. Okay, he was his, his day job was a doctor. He was a doctor, so this is an educated man, uh, a man who was meticulous. Uh, he thought well. He wrote well. The, the writing that Luke does, um, the Greek that he writes in is at a high level. So this is an educated, serious guy. Uh, and he's a historian. In fact, he is considered by both believers and unbelievers um, in, in academia, in, in colleges and universities, um, by a lot of people to be one of the preeminent, premier historians, just pure historians of the ancient world. And one of the reasons that, that that's true is because Luke was very detailed. And so as we go through the book of Luke, you're getting a lot of dates, a lot of names, a lot of places, things like that, um, that, sort of, that sort of show where we are and what we're doing in a very historical way. And so we've been going through this for a long time. It started out where, you know, it's, it's a letter written to a guy named Theophilus. And he's saying, look, I'm going to tell you what happened basically since from the time that Jesus rose from the dead and went, and went back to heaven to the early church, and he goes through the church for a number of years, um, about 30-something years of the, of the early church history, Luke covers. He did this. He, he would have met these eyewitnesses. Actually, the passage we're in today, Luke is actually with Paul and Timothy and Silas on a missionary journey, and so some of it he, he witnessed himself. Some of it he got from other people, um, but it's a, it's a history that was written that way, and, and so it's, it's Jesus going back. He tells these disciples, hey, wait for me. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm taking off, but the Holy Spirit's coming. Hang out in Jerusalem, and then you're going to get power. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you, and you're going to be witnesses. Witnesses to what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? This is, this is the, the historical event on which everything hinges, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And, and what that meant was is that that resurrection, that power of God that was displayed was a verification, a verification of all the things that Jesus said about who he was, about what was true, about who God was, about how we should treat each other, all the things that Jesus said, they were verified because he rose from the dead. Nobody else does that, okay? And so he's saying, look, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses to that, and then you're going to preach the gospel, okay? The Great Commission. Go out. Go to people. Make disciples, right? Teach them all the things that I've told you. And so they wait in Jerusalem, 
And they have the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They start speaking all these other languages. There are people from all over the world that are in the place. At that time, all these Jewish folks that came for the feast of Pentecost from all the places where the Jews had been, who all spoke different languages, and you got these people speaking in all their languages. They hear them speaking in the language that they know, and it's amazing, right? And so 3,000 people get saved on that day. And then we've, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but basically we have the church start, okay? It, it's 3,000 that day. It keeps growing. It keeps growing. It keeps growing. We see a lot of great things happening, miracles and so on. We also see some division. And then eventually we see some real persecution. And a guy named Stephen gets killed. And after Stephen gets killed, everybody kind of runs, right? They all sort of go to all these other places and the gospel starts to go out. We see it in Samaria, then we see Cornelius, the first Gentile, come into the church, right? And then Paul goes out with Barnabas, and he goes out on a mission journey, comes back. Then he goes out on a mission journey with Silas. And the last couple messages on this, we picked up Timothy, um, who was a young man who they picked up. And then they were in this position where they didn't know where they should go. They wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit said no. They wanted to go to a place called Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit said no. And so then Paul has this vision of this guy in Macedonia. We don't know who it is, just a man from Macedonia. And he's saying, come and help us. Come and help us. And so they concluded that they were supposed to go to Macedonia, which is Europe. Okay? It's around Greece. It's, it's, this is the first time they're leaving what we would call sort of the Near East and heading into Europe. And so here we go. We have uh, the very last verse of the last thing that we, that we taught on seven, eight weeks ago. said, now after he had seen the vision, immediately we, this is Luke writing, so he's saying, I'm with them. We sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, and we're going to start there. Okay, so we have Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. That's who's in the crew. So if I say Paul and his buddies or Paul and his companions, that's who I'm talking about. Let's look at verse 11. That's where we'll start for today. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. All right. So if we'll remember, like I said, they wanted to go this way, they wanted to go that way. The Lord said, no, they're in Troas. And then they get this, this vision, and they decide to go from Troas, headed west, Cross the water there to Macedonia. They stopped in a place called Samothrace. I think we have a map here. Um, there it is. They stopped in a place called Samothrace, which is a small island, um, about I think about 70 square miles, but it has a mountain on it, 5,200-foot uh, mountain. And so you can see it from all over in the sea. It's sort of this landmark that people use. They went, spent the night there. The next day they go into Neapolis, which is the main port city, in this district of Macedonia. Okay, so that's where they are. Let's look at the next verse. It says, verse 12, and, there from, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So they head from there to Philippi. As you can see, if the map comes back up, you can see where Philippi is, uh, just a short distance. Um, and so they head there. Now, why, why am I putting maps up? You guys have seen me put maps up lots of times. Some people are kind of like, maps, do we really need the maps? You know, I, I don't really get it. Let me tell you why I put these maps up. Because it's here in the scripture. 
because they tell us all these places, and there's a reason why they tell us about these places. Why are they telling us that they spent the night in salmon thrace? Why is that important? How is that pushing the gospel forward? Well, let me tell you. I think that Scripture includes it for at least one reason. At least one reason. It includes it so that we understand that this is not a legend or a tall tale or something like that. This is not in the same form that the legends of these idols and these other religions out there are, where you wouldn't talk about we spent the night at this place. You'd talk in broad categories, more poetic language. No, Luke is about facts. What do we say? Acts is about facts. Right. So Luke is about facts. He's putting it in there. It's important, at least for me, to understand that I'm in a real place, a real time in history, and they're on their way somewhere to a real place and going the real way that you would really go there, and that they named those things. This is why Luke is considered such a great historian, because he's, he's literally laying it out. We went here, we went here, we went here, which is what you would have done at that time in that place. It's included so you don't ever get to the point because they're going to talk about miracles, and they're going to talk about these crazy things happening in earthquakes, and they're set free from prison, and an angel comes, and this, and the point that Luke's making is all that stuff is exactly the same as we spent the night at Salmon Thrace. There's no difference. I'm not over here talking about legend and over here talking about fact. It's all a historical account. So that those things that could seem more legendary, spiritual, whatever, you say, nope, here's where we were, here's who saw it, and so on, so that I could what when I was reading this? I could go back and find that person and say, did that really happen? Is that really what Luke wrote that this thing happened? He put your name in here. Is this you? Yep, that's me. Did that really happen? Yes, it did. And they did it that way on purpose so that we know Christianity is a religion about facts, okay? We are, we are about facts. This is not some, you know, there's, there's a God, he's kind of everywhere and whatever. No, this is a very specific fact-based belief system. The most important fact being that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If that fact isn't true, we are wasting our time here. We're reporting facts, right? This is, this is, this is about facts. What you believe, if you are a Christ follower, is not a legend. It's not a legend. It's about facts, even what seem like mundane facts that are on maps, okay? So, Philippi, this is where we are. This is an important city. It's on what's called the Via Ignatia, or the Ignatian Way, which is an important Roman road, and this is right there, okay? That's probably the same road that Paul and his buddies would have traveled when they got to land to to Philippi, which is about nine or ten miles, okay? which is easy if you have a car, but I wouldn't want to have to do that, uh, walking-wise. All right, so the last part of the verse says this, and we were staying in that city for some days. Now, I don't know for sure, and apparently neither do the commenters that I've read, about how many days we're talking about. Maybe we're just talking about enough days to get to the next Sabbath, but maybe it was a while. It's possible that they were there for a while. Here's what I do know. If you remember last time, when we talked about Paul wanting to go into Asia, wanting to go into Bithynia, and, he, and, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him. It was like, what am I supposed to do, Lord? What are you calling me to do? And then there's this vision, and they felt like, okay. They concluded, I'm, we're called to go over here. He's waiting. He's itching. He's wanting to go. They're on a missionary journey. They're wanting to see fruit. They're wanting to do things, okay? And then he has this guy, and he's saying, come over here and help us. Here's what we do know. When he got over to Macedonia, that guy wasn't standing there. The guy in the vision wasn't standing there. There wasn't something for them to do right away. We know that they traveled to, over to Philippi and that it was some days, that they were some days sitting there. Assumedly, we don't hear about anything happening. They're waiting. 
They're waiting. Now, this is interesting because it connects to the message last time we were talking about how do we know what God's called us to do and those types of things. What you need to understand is that sometimes God will call you to do something and you'll do that thing and it still won't happen right away. You still have to wait a little bit. And we're going to see that something does happen, but they had to wait. There's a lot of patience in chapter 16. A lot of patience being exercised, okay? All right. Now, let's look at the next verse. This is verse 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So, Sabbath on a Sabbath... I don't know if it was the first Sabbath they were there or if it was many Sabbaths since they've been there. They go to the riverside. Now, where does Paul usually go? He usually goes to the synagogue. When he goes into a place, he usually goes to the synagogue, right? And he goes and he reasons with the Jews and the proselytes and the God-fearers, those folks there, because they already have a connection to the Old Testament, and Christ is clearly prophesied in the Old Testament. So he goes to them first and says, hey, you know the Messiah that we've been talking about? Here he is. This is who he is. He died. He rose again, does this whole thing. And then some people usually will say, yeah, that's right. Their hearts are open to it. And some people will say, no, I think we'd like to kill you. That's generally been the pattern, right? That's, that's what he's doing. Now, this time it doesn't say he goes to the synagogue. He goes down by the riverside. Now, why? Because there's probably not a synagogue there. Okay, so this is a decent-sized city, and it only takes 10 active Jewish men for a synagogue to exist. And so it's possible that there was a synagogue there, but it doesn't look like it. It looks like there's not a synagogue. There's not enough Jewish men in that area to have created a, a, a synagogue. And so the riverside is where they would go because there was flowing water, and that was, they, used, they used the flowing water for part of their purification stuff and all that, Okay. So he goes down to this riverside, and does he find men there? I don't know. Let's find out. It says, we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. We spoke to the women who met there. So there were no men there. Sounds like a modern prayer meeting. Um, I'm just saying. It's easier for me to get the ladies to show up to a prayer meeting than it is to get the men. No, we actually do okay here, but... He goes down there, there's, there's no men that we see in the passage. We don't know that there were no men there, but that's not who they talked to, okay? A bunch of single guys, right, down by the riverside. They, they found the women to talk to. Um, and so they're speaking to, to these women, okay? So let's look at the next verse, verse 14. It says this, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. All right, who is this, who is this woman? Um, we read that she's from Thyatira. Thyatira is actually in Asia Minor in an area where Paul had wanted to go, and the Holy Spirit said no, sends him a different way. But then he, the first person he runs into is a woman from that region. So it worked out actually okay that he still was able to affect that, right? Um, there's a map that I have for this, and Thyatira is the red dot, there, um, and you can see that the, what I've circled there is Lydia, that's the region. But her name is Lydia, but the region she's from is Lydia. We don't know. We don't know if he's referring to her as a Lydian, someone from the region of Lydia, or if her name is Lydia. I, there were people named Lydia. We do know that. There were some people who actually had that as a name. She was from that region, so it's kind of convenient, but I'm going to say her name's Lydia. 
because it's easier for me to not have to keep going back to that. And I, I just want to think that her name was Lydia, okay? Um, and she's a seller of purple, okay? Seller of purple. Dyeing fabric back in those days was done, was well known to be done in that region of Lydia and in the city of Thyatira. Even Homer, who wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad, okay, refers to purple dyeing, the, the practice of dyeing purple there in that region of Lydia, Okay, what long before this? So this is well known to go on in this place. She would have probably learned it growing up. They either used a shellfish that, that I don't know, had blood that was purple. I don't know how it worked. Or they used a certain plant. Okay, and they would dye fabric purple because people wanted different colors. Uh, and it, it says that she was a worshiper of God, right? She worshiped God, which means she probably was not Jewish. It's a Gentile name. She's not from Jerusalem. She's from another place. And she was a God worshiper. She's probably a God fearer. We've talked about what that means. We've talked about the difference between being a Jewish person, born Jewish, being a proselyte, which is you're not born Jewish, but you take on the, the religion and you go through the whole process. For men, it can be a painful one. We've talked about that. I'm not going to go into it. Um, we don't see here that she's a proselyte, although she could be. But somehow, probably back where she's from in Thyatira, she was introduced to Judaism, and she saw the truth of the one true God and became a God worshiper, a God fearer, most likely. Okay, um, and so she is now here in this other place in Philippi, and she's with these other women worshiping God, praying to God. They're at basically a prayer meeting. Now, what's interesting is this. Of the God-fearers, okay? Remember, these are people who worship God but are not necessarily proselytes. About 80% of the inscriptions we have, the Jewish inscriptions that we have, about 80% of those who are listed as God-fearers, Gentiles who came to worship the one true God, are women. Women were predominantly those who were coming to believe in God. And so this, was a, this would have been, I'm not going to say a normal thing, there obviously weren't tons and tons of them, but that it would be a woman was actually more common than it would be a man. It says that Lydia heard them. She heard them, which means she was listening, right? Why? This is someone who's come from a completely different culture to become a god for her to believe in the one true God, okay, to a monotheistic religion, would have been very different. So she's a truth seeker. She's after it. These guys come, and they start talking, and Paul starts talking, and she's listening. She heard them. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So there's more than one thing going on here. You have Lydia, who's a truth seeker. You have Paul, who's preaching the gospel, which Paul is known to do. But then you have the Lord at work, right? The Lord is, is there, and he's, he's drawing Lydia to himself. He's opening her heart to listen, to heed what's being said. This is a smart woman, okay? She's financially successful. We know that. She's a businesswoman. She's selling purple, okay? And she's a truth seeker. She's a truth seeker. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes when you're talking about the Lord or the things of the Lord, or just truth in general, you're around people who don't hear you. They don't listen to you. They don't want to listen to you. Um, Paul preached to a lot of people. You've, you've already seen that. He's preached to a lot of people. And not all of them heard him, and not all of them heeded him. And what we have to realize, because we also speak to people, part of our 
part of our calling as believers, right, is to go out and make disciples for Christ, is that sometimes we're going to speak, and we're going to speak truth, and we might speak it well, and we might speak it powerfully, but if God is not opening that heart, you're not, the gospel is not getting in. None of us came to the Lord just on our own because we're so great. The Lord has to be at work in the heart of the person. And so rather than get discouraged, which it can be easy to do, you know, I talk a lot <laughs> up here, and sometimes I can get discouraged if, uh, if there's somebody, oh, I, just really, I just really want them to understand this thing. But that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way for me, it doesn't work that way for you, and it doesn't work that way for anybody else. God has to be at work. All Paul is responsible to do here is to preach the gospel. That's it. He's responsible to go where God's called him and preach the gospel. It's God that brings the increase. It's the Lord that works on the heart. And here he's working on the heart of Lydia. And she becomes a Christ follower. She is the first person that we read about in Europe, which is where he is now, um, that becomes a Christ follower. Okay? This woman is the first European Christ follower that we know of. Okay, Maybe this man in the vision was a real dude and there were other Christ followers there. We don't know that, though. This is the first one Scripture tells us about in this area. Okay, So Paul and his companions were faithful to wait. They didn't run ahead of the Lord when they wanted to go to Asia, when they wanted to go to Bithynia. They waited. They got the call. Then they went to Macedonia. Then they were faithful to wait again. And they just waited until the Lord put the opportunity there, and then the Lord worked in the heart of Lydia so that they got to have the benefit. They got to have the benefit of seeing someone come to the Lord, which was an amazing thing. Let's look at the next verse. This is verse 15. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. After Lydia becomes a Christ follower, her whole household becomes Christ followers. So Paul got the opportunity, Paul and these guys got the opportunity to preach the gospel to all of them. They all became Christ followers, and they got baptized. Okay, this, that's an act of obedience. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with baptism, it's an act of obedience that we do to identify ourselves with Christ, to say to the world, we're a Christ follower. After we become a Christ follower, this is something we do. Okay, and so that's what they did. It would have been immersion baptism. They baptized them, and then she says, hey, come stay with me. She doesn't just say that. She begs them. She persuades them to come stay with her. I don't know if it was difficult, as you may recall from, from earlier chapters, there was a real issue for Jewish men to go into the house, to go into the house of a Gentile period. Okay, It would have been the type of thing that would have been the talk around town, to even go into a Gentile's home. But we know that these guys, would have, certainly Paul, would have felt completely free to do so. I don't know about Silas. I don't know about Timothy because the council of Jerusalem has come and said, hey, you don't need to worry about all that anymore. A Christ follower is a Christ follower. There's no judgment about Gentile versus Jew. We're all one in Christ. That's, that's, the, that's what's come out. But I don't know whether it's sunk in yet. So I don't know how much persuading she had to do. Okay, just because you have the freedom to do something doesn't always get you past your scruples. Or you're feeling like, ah, yeah, I know I'm allowed to, but it still doesn't feel right. You've got to understand culturally, culturally, the idea of Jewish men going and staying in the home of a Gentile woman would have been unthinkable, unthinkable prior to the gospel, prior to the gospel. So she does persuade them and they stay with her, okay? Now, what can we take from this section? Um, we can take a lot. We can take a lot. We see 
the faithfulness of Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Like I say, patience, waiting, knowing, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Clearly knowing, don't go here, don't go here, wait, go here, and then wait, and all that, and then seeing the fruit of that, Lydia and her household, the first Europeans to get saved. Okay, so we see that. And we see God is faithful to them, and God will be faithful to us when we listen, when we're quiet, when we seek the Holy Spirit, and He gives us a direction, and we listen, and we're faithful, and we wait, and we're patient. He's going to be faithful. He's going to be faithful in what he, does, what he allows us to be a part of. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington, and this is Contemplate. You know, God wants to do the same kinds of things in our lives, too, just like Paul, as we're sensitive to God's leading, listening, and following, he'll do amazing things in the circumstances and people that come our way, too. Now, if you'd like more information about Axe Church, you can find us online at axecamus.org. There you'll find a sermon video archive and directions and all the info you need to join us for church this Sunday, and I hope you will. Again, that's axcamus.org, or call 360-885-9000. That's 360-885-9000. Finally, equality is a big topic in our world today, and in the next episode, we'll get some great insights into that from God's Word, and I hope you'll listen. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Thanks for being with us today. And I hope you'll be right here next time for more with our teacher, Pastor David Robinson, here on Contemplate.